Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is an interview special episode aired on March 18th, 2019. Today's episode is the second part of uh, the Tech Chill special uh, that is uh, a batch of interviews that uh, we recorded on the Tech Chill conference in Riga last month. Uh, the third and last part of this uh, special will air next week, so stay tuned for that. I am your host, Andrew Degler, a tech journalist based in Amsterdam, and in this episode I wanted to highlight three conversations with uh, people coming from London and Riga and talking about uh, things like building community hubs for tech companies, about investing in startups in the Baltics, and much more. Actually, I have to say that uh, today's interviewees are all connected in a way, and I will explain what I mean as we progress through this episode. So, without further ado, let's start. And first up today is Elizabeth Varley, uh, the founder and CEO at Tech Hub, active in London, Swansea, Riga, and Bucharest. Let's dive in. Hello, I'm Andrei Degler from Tech.eu, reporting today uh, from the sunny Riga, Latvia, from the conference called Tech Chill 2019, one of the officially uh, favorite uh, conferences of the tech.eu team where we are coming in force with the three of us and uh, today i'm uh, catching up with elizabeth varley the founder and uh, ceo of uh, tech hub in london hi elizabeth thanks Hello. a lot for uh, taking the uh, time to talk today nice to be here is this your first time in riga No, no. Uh, we, uh, we launched Tech Hub Riga, uh, back in 2012. So I come here most years, uh, for that and also for the awesome Tech Chill. Right. So what is Tech Hub? TechHub is a community for technology entrepreneurs and startup teams. It's a place where they can come together, meet each other, get access to all of the things that they need. So meet investors. Uh, we run a lot of investor sessions. Uh, we run a lot of programming, uh, a very, very strong support program. So anyone from very early stage companies and solo founders right up to 50, 70-person teams uh, are based with us, uh, sometimes permanently, sometimes uh, just to drop in so that they can get the support and access that they need to help their company scale. So just to get the range, what's the biggest uh, uh, company based uh, at TechHub? Over the years, the largest one we had was uh, Nexmo, who uh, exited to Vonage. They were 72 people, I think, when they were based with us. Wow. So, yeah, quite a sizable uh, scale-up. We had uh, CallSign. They were at, I think, about 55 people um, and stayed till just after they raised their 36 million A round. Uh, so we're, we're talking about some uh, some really substantial companies. Uh, sometimes they've been with us since they were just a couple of people and then grown over the years uh, to much larger. We have Benevo at the moment. They've, uh, I think, our longest running team. I think they've been with us for six years now, something wow. like that, uh, just growing and growing and growing their company and wanting to stay part of, of that culture and access that support. Right. So how does it work with uh, different locations then? Is it like a franchise or like how do you... Sort of, yeah. When we've worked with uh, the, t the team in Riga, the team in Bucharest, um, they have been uh, amazing people in the startup ecosystems locally who've wanted to 
get access to the the type of thing that we do uh, as Tech Hub and, and bring that energy and that network to their local community and really build it out in a way that works for them. So right. uh, we, we're, we're huge fans of, um, of, of our awesome co-founders uh, here in Riga and in Bucharest and in Swansea. I also noticed that you used to have locations in the Warsaw and uh, Madrid, but not anymore. So we did. We um, we worked with uh, Google for startups. Uh, right. So Google has been a partner of ours since the very beginning, uh, and they've opened campuses uh, in various places around the world. We uh, we helped them launch uh, Campus London, uh, where we were for many years, which was great. Um, and when they opened in Madrid and Warsaw, they asked us to come and uh, and open there to support those communities as well. Right, but then the partnership ended, or uh, they they changed their strategy right. uh, in those locations, and so um, uh, so went ahead with. Uh With, with different things. So what's operational right now? London, uh, Riga? London, Riga, Bucharest, and Swansea at the moment. Obviously, in London, uh, we're just about to open our big new uh, headquarters where we're bringing our 400 companies together for the first time, which Great. is very exciting. I'm so excited. I can't wait to move in. <laughs> What stage is the building at? Is it ready? Is it not ready? Is it going to be ready in time? <laughs> There's the, it will definitely be ready in time. There's a lot of hard hats and uh, and sawdust uh, at the moment. Um, my colleague, Andrew, uh, who's, who's TechUp's COO, is uh, the reason he's not here is because he's running around making sure that, uh, that everything's happening there. There's a lot going on uh, and we'll be moving um, our current teams and welcoming some uh, more next month in March. So it's you and it's your uh, COO and uh, how many uh, people? I think we have uh, about 12 uh, in right. London. Um, our team is incredible, incredibly hardworking, very dedicated to our members. Um, they're, they're all there because they want to help uh, startups and founders succeed, which is, is just great. So basically, it sounds like Tech Hub is something in between a co-working space and an accelerator or incubator. Kind of, yeah. We refer to ourselves as a community because you can use Tech Hub for all sorts of things. Um, but our our program is incredibly strong. It's like an accelerator program, but it's consistent over time. So it's not a 12-week program. Everyone comes in at the same stage, uh, goes through the same process, and then leaves. It means that we can work with companies at all sorts of different stages because you come and dip in and out uh, of the program depending on what you need. If you're about to raise, you get loads of introductions to uh, investors. If you then have a couple of months where you've got to get ready to ship you know, a, a new version of your product, you might speak to no one and, and, and hold yourself up and then you, um, you, know, you, you need to uh, meet some enterprise clients. We can put you in touch with them. Uh, you might be hiring more and need support on that. So It's really about being able to get support for your growth, right. no matter what stage you're at. Uh, so how did you come to this uh, yourself? Do you have entrepreneurial background too? Yeah, so, so Tech Hub is my second business. My first business was an editorial agency. Uh, so my background is editorial and comms and uh, building communities. Um, so I, I built the, uh, the first uh, UK online content community when when doing words online was was a new thing um and uh, and and we needed to support each other uh and so that that was great and then um I grew an agency out of that tech hub itself is a well I guess we're a scale up at this point uh we started with 
no funding. We've never taken equity uh, investment. And so, you know, we've, we've bootstrapped it just like all of our companies do. So what do you think is the importance of uh, having a hub like this? I guess you're not the only hub in London, not the only hub in England. Not anymore. Yeah, we, we were one of the first, um, particularly that, that was dedicated to uh, product tech startups, um, which is a really different kind of need to those who are doing services who can you know, have money to spend on things uh, early on as you have clients uh, is very different when you're, you know, just trying to build something and, and can't sell it yet. There are now loads of different workspaces, uh, uh, um, startup support programs, accelerators, that sort of thing. Uh, we're pretty proud to have been one of the first who have helped that ecosystem really start to explode. But it's great that there's so much support uh, for startups in London now. Now, when you announced the move to this new building in London, you said in particular uh, this thing, I will quote, uh, London is in the next phase of growth in the tech industry. We've moved from being a startup capital to a hub focused on growth. So what does it mean in practice? What does it mean this growth focus? I think one of the things that that we're looking at is how do how do founders go from being the founder of a startup to being the founder of a larger company? What can we do to support companies um, and founders going through that growth process? And I think that's the thing that we we're looking at now. Certainly, as Tech Hub, uh, we hosted a, a dinner with Patrick Pichette who was uh, a CFO uh, at Google uh, in the early days, who uh, now is with uh, a fund called Innovia. And he was talking very much about how we don't give founders the opportunity to keep going because You've been working on a you've been working on a startup for for eight years, and someone comes along and offers you thirty million for it. It's going to be really, really hard to say no. I'm going to keep living this life. I'm going to keep never seeing my partner. I'm going to you know not be able to have kids yet, or not spend any time with them, or not be able to go on holiday. If we have different kinds of investors coming in at that point who say. We're going to allow you to take some money out. You know, you, you suddenly as a founder get three million so you can pay off your house and go on holiday and put your kids in private school if that's what you want. Um, that gives you the opportunity, I think, to get ready for the, the massive scale for, for what's next for, for going towards IPO or for, for building a really big company. Um, and so I, you know, at that point, the, the early stage investors have been paid out they have their exit um and then the company is ready to to scale it right up and so i think we're we're going to need some really visionary uh investors to come in and 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 say we're going to help you take it you know to the next level and so i think that that's what we're going to start seeing in london mm -hmm. uh sort of longer vision than the investment cycles uh, that, that we see at the moment um, because it is that I mean obviously that's a that's a long-term play both the uh, both the investor and the founder need to be able to say right we're, we're going to gear up we're, we're going to do this so what's your role uh, going to be in this uh, transformation we're looking at how we can better support those companies that are 
really going for it. We're looking at what can we do for those companies that are saying, I want a billion users. You know, I, I want a billion users for my product or I want the impact of my product to reach that many people. Right. So we're starting to put together some programming around what are the differences in hiring, what are the differences in funding, what are the differences in product development if you are looking at that scale and at what stage can you make that decision uh, for your company. We're still working it out, uh, but I think there's some really exciting conversations to be had about that. And do you think uh, this transformation is uh, particular to uh, London and the UK or is it something that's happening across Europe now? I'm not too sure about Europe. I mean, London has the advantage of size. Uh, we also have um, a really big investment community now. We have the big US investors all have offices in London if they're not uh, present elsewhere in Europe. I think London is in the best position to be able to to do this. And it's a more mature market. I think uh, we're likely to see um, other European markets following uh, in the same way, um, you know, as markets mature, they, they get to, uh, they, they grow and get to a different level. I don't know that there are any other European markets at the moment that are at that stage, but it will be really interesting to see once London starts in that direction. Well, London is also obviously uh, not without its uh, problems and issues at the moment. Uh, the, the main one being uh, obviously Brexit. So uh, can you tell a little bit more how does it impact your day-to-day -day operations and long-term planning? What's sure. Day-to-day, uh, -day, um, the, the looming Brexit uh, is is not really affecting us. Um, we're, we're still doing what we're doing. Uh, we, we have lots of European members. Um, that hasn't changed. What's going to happen? I think nobody really knows at the moment. And that's what's so <laughs> frustrating. And that's what's so difficult. We just don't know uh, what's going to happen with it. It's, uh, I still maintain it's, it's a bad idea. It's, uh, it's always better to be closer than further away. Um, but London will remain a strong economy because it's one of the major global business cities. All right. That, you know, that there aren't that many of them and London is one of them. We, you know, we're the center of uh, the finance industry. Um, in the UK, we have government in the city. We have, you know, the center of advertising and media, um, public sector. You know, all of the industries uh, in the UK are centered around London, which gives it an advantage that some other cities don't have. And uh, one of the big uh, topics uh, of the past uh, few years, I guess, and especially in accelerators and any other initiatives that help startups is the collaboration between corporates and startups. Do you do anything in that direction? And what do you think of it? Does it we make do. Sense? Yeah. So uh, we've had uh, long-term partners like Google, as I mentioned earlier. Um, BT has been a partner of ours um, for a long time. And We help uh, organizations like like those, BT is a great example, to source startups and startup products uh, that they are interested in, that they want to work with. Um, so it's not about, oh, here's this great product, go and acquire it. It's about saying if there's a great enterprise product or a B2B2C product for a big company that has, has a lot of consumers, um, how can a big company 
help shape that product uh, in the right direction, be that sort of first friendly client for an early stage company and help them to really understand the needs of uh, one of their potential clients and then be able to to do better when they're selling to, to other enterprise companies. Right. There are already any success stories in this? Uh, yeah, we, uh, Utelly, um, which is uh, a second screen technology, um, has been working with BT for years, uh, through our first program, uh, that we ran with them and, and they're, they're still, uh, working with them. And so that's, that's been really great. It takes longer than I think most corporates think yeah. it's going to. Many sort of come <laughs> in and they think, great, you know, we'll, 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 we'll do something and we'll, you know, we'll have a press release and, and in six months we'll have this great success story. Because of their own internal processes, things can take a really long time. Um, and I think it's really important uh, in terms of our role as Tech Hub to help corporates understand uh, that, that these things are a longer-term process and that if you want genuine value out of it, you have to not just have commitment uh, you know, at, at the lowest level and at the highest level. Everybody in between needs to be bought into this process and to see how it can boost their own innovation. And if you don't mind me asking, so how a community uh, can make uh, money these days? So what's your business model? Do you mostly... Uh, make money on uh, your uh, community uh, fees or whatever like the or as corporate sponsorship or is there something else so we um uh, our revenue model is both a membership model uh and a partnership model um and so partly uh the corporate partnerships helps us to keep the prices that we charge to our startups as low as possible it means we can work with much earlier stage companies than we might uh, otherwise be able to if we had to to raise our prices uh, i can tell you it's challenging especially in an expensive city like london yeah. i saw your prices they're pretty decent for london i have to say yeah we, we we're really proud of that um we we work hard to provide something really great not just workspace uh, you know i think a, a lot of organizations talk about community um, but you have to invest time and money and people in actually making it happen. And so we feel really proud. I'm incredibly proud of our team uh, for being able to provide that level of connection and care while keeping the prices as low as we can. But um, more, uh, more corporate partners definitely helps us with that. Uh, but we have to provide genuine value to those partners as well, which is which we do. Perfect. So we are at Tech Chill now and you're wearing a speaker page. So where are you going to speak and what about? Uh, I am hosting a roundtable uh, next about um, CEOs, how they uh, keep their vision aligned with uh, their team and how, how they can keep their team motivated towards uh realizing that vision and then i'm on stage talking about talent in europe and i think the brexit question is going to rear its head again <laughs> <laughs> definitely so what are the issues of talent in europe just like in one minute your speech in one minute my speech in one minute um i think that uh well certainly speaking from from the uk um we we need to do better on uh post uh university visas it's uh, it's a shame when we train people up to a great level and then we expect them to leave. That's that's no good. Um, and startups are fighting uh, against the big companies uh, in terms of salaries, like everywhere. Uh, so we really have to rely on the difference that we offer as smaller companies um, to to lure the best people in. 
Perfect. Thanks a lot for this summary. And this is it for uh, my questions today. Uh, thanks again, Elizabeth, for uh, taking the time and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Now, this is a great start for today's episode. And let's now move on to the next interview. The second conversation I wanted to highlight today is with Andres Berzins uh, from Change Ventures. Uh, the connection of this interview to the previous one is that Andres is also the co-founder of Tech Hub Riga, so part of the Tech Hub sort of franchise about which Elizabeth uh, spoke earlier. So let's learn more about his perspective on the startup ecosystem in the Baltics. Hey, Robin Walters from Tech.eu. I'm here in Riga, Latvia for the Tech Chill Conference. Can't miss that one. I'm sitting down with Andres from Change Ventures, a local investor. Yeah, tell us more about uh, your investment firm. Thank you. It's great to have you here back at Tech Chill. Uh, so Change Ventures is a pre-seed and seed fund investing in uh, ambitious Baltic founders. So we only back founders from the Baltic states or connected to the Baltic states, and so it might be Baltic diaspora. And we've been investing for about three years now. We have uh, nine investments uh, across all three Baltic states. The better known ones are probably Meet Frank, which is a recruiting uh, platform uh, from Estonia, and uh, Nordigan, which is a fintech startup from Latvia. And then in Lithuania, Interactio, it's a real-time audio streaming service. And today we just announced our newest investment, which is Asia.ai, which is a mindful conversation app. So uh, some guys from Latvia here building an app which uh, they want to give to the world in order to improve conversations between people. Great. Um, well, what can you tell us about the Baltic startup ecosystems that you think most people outside would know or expect? I think the thing that most people outside wouldn't know and expect is how determined and passionate and persevered uh, are all the, the entrepreneurs here. So they just don't give up. Yeah, and that's, I guess, the most important skill to have. That the is founder, the most right? important yeah. skill to have, and that's sort of the thesis of our investment fund is we look at founders, we look at team. Um, that's the most important thing we look at. I mean, I've been in several startups uh, that have gone all the way from zero to, to success and also failure, and and what you, my experience was always that you go through a million different zigzags in terms of product to market, and the one thing that can stay constant and that gets you through that is a strong team. And uh, what I think sometimes the... Western European or U.S. investors are surprised at is how far these teams can go and how much they can get through in order to reach success. And I think, you know, sometimes I relate this to sort of, I don't know, some kind of farmer genes from like the old days, you know, when we had to uh, farm fields and that's still in there. It's like this uh, grit you yeah, know, to well, make it happen. It's got to come from somewhere, right? Exactly. It's <laughs> got to come from somewhere. All right. And uh, what about the investment landscape in these parts? Because I find like Estonia gets uh, most of the attention, gets the bulk of the funding goes to uh, Estonian startups in the Baltics. Um, but other than that, do you find that it's a healthy ecosystem in terms of capital? Is there enough like seed capital and growth capital here? So I think, I think the past couple of years have seen it become much healthier and there's uh, a few new funds on the market, which is really good. Um, not just ourselves. And, um, you know, I think Estonia's got, uh, the bulk of the funding because the market is just more mature. So as soon as you have five growth stage deals happening, that dominates all the funding news, right? Um, because the numbers are just much, much bigger there. And so I, I'm 
convinced that the same will happen in Latvia and Lithuania, just a matter of time. And as a pre-seed seed investor, for me, that's an opportunity, right? So we think there's lots of opportunities to build the next massive success stories, uh, not just in Estonia, but in the other two countries right. as well. And do you find it easy to build relationships with investors outside of the Baltics? Do you find that there's enough interest or do you really have to work hard at it to build those? Actually, we really don't have a question about interest. So everyone kind of has has that on the map as this is one of the places we really need to pay attention to. They may not have paid attention to it yet, right? Because it's sort of on the other side of Europe. But there's definitely no question in anyone's mind that this is a region which is going to really produce some some outliers, right? I mean, if you look at the numbers, we're already an outlier region, uh, especially Estonia. But in general, if you if you put the Baltics together, it's an outlier region already, um, you know, kind of along with the Nordics. So the UK, Nordics and Baltics are like the biggest uh, scenes, you know, per capita relative to the size of the economies, for right. sure. Great. Um, so investing in Baltic founders makes it a relatively small uh, pond to fish in, I would say. Um, or would you say that there's still, do you still miss out on opportunities? So, uh, so we don't think it's a small pond. Um, no, we think it's plenty big enough for the fund of our size. So I couldn't deploy a 250 million euro fund here, right? But um, for a small fund, it's plenty of opportunities. Uh, we'll make probably six or seven investments a year. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it will grow. I mean, obviously, if we wanted to raise a much bigger fund, we'd have to go much, much further. But what, you know, myself and my two partners, they're two, two, two Estonians who've also spent a lot of years working in startups. So we like the entrepreneurship. So what drives us to be investors in this stage is we like working with the entrepreneurs. We like helping them wrestle with the you know, the very early problems in getting product market fit and so forth. And so you can only do that if you're really close to them. So that's why we geographically want to be very, very focused and be able to see these guys, you know, every week if needs be, right? Yeah, makes sense. Um, outside of Change Ventures, you're also uh, involved with Tech Hub Riga. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I'm one of the co-founders of Tech Hub Riga, and we set that up... Uh, uh, seven years ago. What is ago. it for those who don't know? So uh, Tech Up Riga was the first sort of community organization. It's a nonprofit, um, basically dedicated to help the startup community in Latvia get going. And we set up a co-working space originally. We ran monthly meetups, and those are still running uh, years later. Uh, and there's still a co-working space. You know, since then, there's a ton of other co-working spaces. That's not unique anymore. But um, uh, we basically got the engine rolling of entrepreneurs having a place to meet, having a place to connect, or investors to come and find out what's going on. And um, that's also where Textual was born. Right? So Textual was born there. So actually, Textual was born as the launch party for the original Tech really? Hub. Oh. Um, and actually, because uh, Mike Butcher was one of the founders of Tech Hub in London, uh, it was the first one was a TechCrunch Baltics, um, which was a much smaller event, but. Um, uh, but that was very successful. And so then we thought, well, maybe we could do this every year. And, uh, then AOL bought Tech, TechCrunch and the branding became a corporate, you know, complexity, which we didn't need. So we rebranded it to TechChill. And, uh, since then it's been growing every year. And then a few years ago, uh, Maria Ruchevska took over 
running it. I really scaled uh, this event to much, much bigger one. And now it's like about 2,000 people. It happens every year in February. Um, uh, among the Baltic states, we take on the hardest task of getting everyone here in the middle of winter. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but people have a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's uh, at a great size. So 2,000 people is about the size where you can randomly bump into people. You can have a lot of serendipitous meetings. Um, it's not too big, but it's big enough that everyone you want to meet in this uh, region is here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I really like coming here. Great. The thing is with the Textual and Digital Freedom Festival here in Latvia, they're both in the winter. I don't get it. I've never been here in the summer. Oh, well, you that. just have to come a third time in the year. Yeah, I guess. And then you'll fix Actually, that. Actually, there's a, the Positivist Festival in August. There I'm is. Eyeballing that Positivist, one. Positivist, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, maybe a final question. If you had the power and all the money and the time and the resources in the world, what would you change about the Baltic startup existence, if you could? What would I change? Good question. So I would probably set up a single large building, sort of like Station F in France, in Paris, and really get one physical place in this location. So in, in Riga, that's one thing that we're kind of missing. Right. So there isn't doable. one. It's doable. I don't have the spare hundred million to toss at it uh, right now, but um, uh, but I think it's doable and it's, I think something we'll eventually get to, but that's the one thing. So there's not really a physical hub right. for everything. Interesting. Here. Well, I look uh, forward to my invitation when it opens next Absolutely. year. Absolutely. You'll get an invite. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time and uh, best of luck with Change Ventures Great. and everything else. Thanks, Robin. This is a great insider perspective. Thanks a lot to Robin and Andres for this conversation. And now to finish this episode off is the third interview. And this time with Roland's Masters, the co-founder and managing director of Nordigan. And Nordigan, if you don't know, is a fintech startup that's also coming from Riga, which has raised funding from change ventures led by Andres Berzins from the previous interview. So everything is connected in the Baltics ecosystem, which makes it really Fascinating. Now, now, let's check this one out. Hey, this is Robin Walters for uh, Tech.eu, and I'm here in Riga for the TechChill conference, sitting down with Roland Smesters, who's the co-founder and CEO of Nordigen, a local fintech company. Give us the basics. What is Nordigen? Hey, thanks, Robin, for having us. Um, so what Nordigen does is uh, we're working with banks, and uh, we're helping them to use open bank banking uh, for making better uh, lending decisions. So as you know, with open banking, um, uh, the uh, the new regulation coming in in Europe uh, called Payment Services Directive 2 uh, will uh, give a lot more power to consumers. Um, they will have the possibility to uh, uh, to use their account data for different purposes, and banks are uh, using that uh, already to you know to their advantage. Um, and and uh, what we're doing is is we're building algorithms to help banks um, you know work with account data uh, and to help them make uh, better lending decisions. Eventually, to make finance more inclusive for everyone. So your your, your customers are the banks and the lenders. Exactly. Right, okay. The service that you provide has been how long have you been around? So we uh, we always well, we started like the Nordigan history is uh, is a pretty long one, but uh, we established company in 2016. That's when we got our first institutional investors. Uh, since uh, 2016, we've uh, raised about um, 900,000 uh, euros uh, from investors like Seed Camp and Venture Change Ventures. Um, so it's been a while. Nice. And how's it going? Like, how is it, are you profitable? How many customers? How many users? Yeah. So, so right now we're a team of 28 people, uh, and, and we're growing and constantly hiring. Uh, we do have customers from uh, seven countries in Europe already. Uh, so we're getting a lot of traction in Europe. Uh, the best thing about open banking these days, it's a very hot topic in large banks. So we're getting a lot of inbound interest from some of the largest banks in Europe. That helps a lot. 
Yeah. So if I get this correctly, you um, sort of are making a better version of the credit report, um, basically making it easier for banks to rate the credit worthiness of their customers, right? Yeah. Um, what type of bank typically lends itself well for that service? What kind of size? What kind of customers do they need to have? Effectively, it, it can affect all the banks. So whenever there's consumers involved, it uh, doesn't matter what kind of bank you are, open banking will inevitably uh, improve um, the way any bank understands the creditworthiness of any consumer. Uh, and not just in Europe, everywhere in the world. It's, um, it'll take a while, but open banking will spread everywhere. Uh, today, what we keep seeing is that the most innovative banks, the, um, the challenger banks, uh, the neo banks, the digital banks, those are the ones that are adopting open banking the first. Uh, clearly, they have these you know, digital interfaces. They, they can uh, use the digital tools to evaluate creditworthiness. They, they care about time a lot. They want to make sure that um, the consumers are evaluated fairly and quickly. Um, that's why they're turning to open banking at, at the moment. Of course, you see the incumbents also looking to this area, but the, the largest incumbents in Europe, you know, they'll take a while for them to truly absorb open banking. Right. Um, what does the competitive landscape look like? Do, ban do banks now use their own systems or are they using competing uh, services? So interestingly, uh, a lot of banks are building their own um, internal tools. Uh, it makes a lot of sense because banks want to own as much as uh, of the process as possible. Um, but increasingly, more banks understand that um, there's a value uh, working with fintech companies such as ourselves because um, fintechs, you know, they they uh, have the possibility to work with multiple players at the same time, learn from those players, and and uh, deliver a better solution. Um, and it's at end of the day, it's it's uh, you know the question is time to market. How you know how fast do you want to go to market? If you have the luxury of, of um, you know, uh, waiting a couple of years before you have a solution, you know, bring to the market, you can you can choose to to build it yourself. Uh, if you want, you know, to to move much faster, you might want to choose a, a fintech partner. Um, so that's that's really depends on the strat strategy of the bank. Right. But do do you have a hard time convincing banks to give you the kind of data that you need to provide a good service? So some banks um, find it uh, hard still to uh, think about the opportunities of open banking and the urgency uh, to implement open banking. Um, we clearly see that um, you know open banking as a concept is is still uh, only now coming coming into force. Um, so some of the banks are uh, still uh, well, I, I wouldn't say reluctant, but rather uh, they they're very conservative towards you know their plans um, uh, in regard to open banking. Um, whereas there's a lot of Banks already there are you know um, realize the the urgency uh, of uh, you know implementing open banking because they clearly see the benefit that they can bring to their own customers. Of course, it always depends. You know, uh, some banks are faster, some some are slower. Uh, we work with everyone. Sure. What does the future look like for you? Do you plan to expand new markets? Is the focus on business development, or do you want to create different kinds of products? So right now, our top priority is global expansion. Uh, we realized that the power of open banking is, um, is a global power. So open banking actually, uh, you know, the end game is that any consumer in the world will be able to, uh, ver verify their creditworthiness everywhere in the world. So if you live in Brussels, you could easily, you know, apply for a great mortgage eventually in UK, uh, where maybe the banks are larger and they can give you a better rate. And today that is impossible with the existing credit system. There's like credit bureaus that are very local. And then there's these credit checks that are done very locally. Uh, but open banking can actually take the borders away. And so, so, um, you know, from day one, our top priority has been globalization. Uh, we're already doing pilots in 15 markets in and out of Europe. And we're making sure that, uh, that we understand as much, you know, we can from different geographies uh, today already so that, you know, when open banking is in full force, then, then we can provide these services globally. Great. And how, is the, how are the regulatory changes in, on the European level um, helping you or not helping you? 
Oh, it's helping us. It's helping us. And, and in particular, the, you know, open banking regulation in Europe, it's called PSD2, the, the Payment Services Directive. Um, so when is it coming to effect? Uh, stop, stop paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a weird one. So, like, uh, the, the, you know, the, the next date, uh, the next update is going to come in September. And that's when, that's when, um, the, the large banks all should have the open APIs ready. And then, uh, you know, whoever has the right license to connect to those APIs uh, will be able to do so. Um, well, there's a lot of discussions on, you know, what's going to happen. You know, will everyone have those APIs? Uh, I think we'll just see. Do you have any view on uh, if banks are ready for this? Uh, I'm talking to banks all the time. I'm asking this question all the time. Uh, banks say we'll we'll have to be ready, and so <laughs> that's uh, that's sort of not answering the question exactly. <laughs> and so that's just that's as much uh, that's as much as, as as we keep hearing. But uh, well, I think you know there's clearly. Well, it's it's very hard to say if all the banks will be ready, but I clear, clearly all the banks will have to be ready. And so, if if there's someone who might you know miss the deadline, um, then then uh, you know that is perhaps a short term thing because they eventually everyone will have those open open sure. APIs. It's a thing that is just inevitable. Yeah, interesting times. Um, final question: um, You have a global business, but you're based out of Latvia. Um, so, what's your take on the startup ecosystem here? Latvia is a fantastic place uh, to start a company. Um, it is uh, a great place to to build. You know, we've taken our company from you know two people, me and my co-founder, to thirty people, um, and and uh, Lavi is a place. Uh, you know, it's a great place to have uh, uh, a a global headquarters, so to say. Uh, it's uh, the real estate is inexpensive. Um, uh, what is probably harder is. Uh, is is uh, you know how to scale the team and and um, you know if we're working in, in a truly global environment it makes sense that we'll open up other offices eventually in other places. Sure. What would be your first choice? Uh, well, right now uh, we're very passionate about uh, the Spanish market, so we're opening up our uh, first branch there already. Um, and then there's a couple of more markets coming in a couple of months. Great. Well, thanks for the chat. Very interesting company, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. And we're back, and this is it for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed this special format. Please let me know what you think. Tweet at me or send an email to andrij at tech.eu. Subscribe today on your podcast app of choice and tell a friend or two about this show. For more tech stories, follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU and on Facebook. If you listen to this podcast on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others uh, find the show and will mean a lot to ourselves. If you have any comments i'm always happy to talk on twitter on email or in person thanks for listening enjoy the rest of the week uh, talk to you in a couple of days in the next normal episode of our podcast take care